Okay, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I will make mention, I forgot to mention, Nathan will be preaching tonight, so I encourage you to be out for the service and uh, hear what the Lord has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's just 13 verses, although I do not believe we'll finish the chapter this morning. But 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We know in part, we prophesy in part. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We know that in it we have all things that pertains unto life and godliness. And we thank you that you've given us the assurance that thy word is true from beginning to end, that it changeth not, because you are an unchanging God. And I pray, Father, this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture that each of us will allow the Spirit of God, to examine our hearts this morning, to encourage us, to challenge us, to grow us, Father, even to convict of sin in need of repentance and faith in Christ, if need be. So, Lord, just work. Glorify yourself, and we'll give you all the praise. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, love is a much misunderstood term today in our world. Of course, the Bible, the, the word that is used here in this passage uh, for love is charity. Uh, the modern usage of charity really kind of has the idea of generous actions or donations to aid the poor, the ill, or the helpless. You know, it's a charitable act of work. And so when we think of charity... That's the connotation or the meaning 
that we would apply to it today. You know, and many people give, give to works of charity, which are, which are good deeds to humanity. But this may be done without any real love. And without any real, real eternal value whatsoever. Uh, you can provide education to the illiterate. But if you don't bring him to salvation, he's still unregenerate and will die and go to hell. So as we think about the word charity here this morning, and we're going to use the word love, but the word charity here in this passage means affection, goodwill, love, benevolence. Charity here is of divine affection and goodwill. It's not something that can be had by natural means or be a work of the flesh. For the Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So love is of God. It's something that comes from God. Its source is God. True love. If we understand it from a biblical context. Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It's, again, it's not something of human nature. It's something that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts. It's an outworking of the work of the Spirit of God in, in, in our lives. It's not something that's natural of me. My human nature is to be critical. Find something wrong. But the Spirit of God works in me to shed abroad the love of God. You see, it's, a, it's, a, it's an outgrowth of a relationship with God, again, who is love. In John fifteen thirteen, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And, of course, we know that the great, greatest commandment uh, the, the command that Jesus gave that is an is a evidence of true discipleship is that you love one another. So the title of the message is The Great Evidence of True Salvation. The Great Evidence of True, true Salvation. Romans 13.10 Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is... And see, this, this is what many people would argue with. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Now think about that. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And, and what did Jesus say the greatest commandment is and the second like unto it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then, thy neighbor as thyself. So that is the fulfilling of the law. But... The loving your neighbor as yourself is dependent on your relationship with God. And if that is skewed, all these will be skewed as well. If that is not correct, this can never be correct. And you know, a lot of emphasis in churches today is on this. Your ministry is called relational now. In contemporary churches, they talk about relational or relationship ministries. Building relationships with one another 
in the kingdom of God. No, we need to build a relationship with God. Otherwise, this relationship cannot be right. See, when we build relationships this way, then our service become, to God becomes dependent upon our relationships with people. And it is subjective, not objective. Because God's love does not change. Mine can, but God's never will. So much of the instability that we see in the religious realm is caused of because it's built on relationships with people and not a relationship with God. And so many people are confused about what real love is. You know, love is not without convictions. And we'll see that. It's not being just nice. You know, some would say that Samuel wasn't always nice. He took a sword and hewed Agag to pieces. Moses drew a line in the sand and had him kill 3,000 people in one day. By the way, those were acts of love to God. They had convictions. When you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, you're going to have convictions that you will not approve or go along with what everybody else does. And so, as we think about this love this morning, I have, I have two main points this morning and then quite a lot of sub-points. But first of all, love's preferences. In verses 1 through 3, we, we see the things that are the, the qualities of life that are preferred, uh, that, that, that are, are inferior to love, or that love takes precedence over. Of course, again, the Bible uses the word charity here. And I want to notice several things. First of all, eloquence. In verse 1 it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare, I'm sorry, uh, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You know, if I were the greatest speaker, and could persuade men to follow me with my use of words and, and, and expressions and emotions. And don't have charity. I don't have love. I'm just like one banging a brass or beating a cymbal. Making a lot of noise. That's what it would amount to. It would, it would be a lot of impressive words with no real value. No real value. It'd be, all be in vain. You know, I could, if I could prophesy, verse 2 says, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and how I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. So I could prophesy. I could understand the revelation of God. You know, again, understand that in this time, this writing, the Bible is not complete, so there were still revelations being given. There was still prophesying being done. In other words, John was a prophet. He was foretelling the future when he wrote the book of Revelation. So there was still prophecy being given. And, and though, you know, Paul said, you know, I could understand all prophecy. I could tell all about the future. Tell of future events. I could tell about all the mysteries of God or the hidden or secret things. In fact, these things were, were revealed to Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. He talks about the mysteries that were revealed to him 
where he says in, in, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says, he, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, that is, God made known unto me the mystery, when, wherefore, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You see, this wasn't clearly understood in the Old Testament that the Gentiles would be members of churches, would be entered into the kingdom of God through salvation and be members of churches, be in the same body with Jews. That was not, you know, the Jews looked at the Gentiles as outcasts. And it was hidden. Paul said that mystery and the organism of the churches and the doctrine of the churches was given to me. But he said, I can understand all that. And I can have all knowledge, all intelligence, and all understanding. And I can even have all faith so that I can remove mountains. You know, Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand the worlds are framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. But let me ask you something. Believing in having faith that God made the world, does that save you? I could have all these things. Or I could, if you notice in verse 3, I could give to charity, as we're talking about you know, good deeds, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You know, I can be used, you know, I can give to charity and give my, 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 my you know, sacrifice and give money and, and time to charitable things and to good deeds to help humanity. And, but you know what? That can be done to appease one's mind and guilty conscience. And many give expensive gifts to buy love and honor. Or I could self-sacrifice, even to martyrdom. Give my body to be burned. But that can be done for glorification. Or, again, to appease, to earn favor with God. You know, why did the Japanese kamikaze pilots give their lives. They were assured of eternal bliss. Why do the Muslims strap bombs to their bodies and, and, and seemingly willingly give their lives? Oh, they're assured of paradise involving immorality too. Lots of sexual pleasure. And we'll go into all that. But that's what they're short of. You see, there's a motive. There's a motive there. And an impure one. And, and Paul says, I could do all this. I could do all this with good motives. But if I don't have love, it profiteth me nothing. You know, all the noble things without love are nothing. They are of no account. It really means I am nothing. And I am of no account. It is of no advantage except for maybe the praise of men. You know, I knew an evangelist. 
that was a very gifted man. He was a good speaker. He had knowledge of the Bible. He had faith. He took stands that cost him things, cost him relationships with people. And some of those were right stands. But his brother said to me that he was the most ruthless preacher he ever knew. A co-worker that I knew very well that worked with him said, everything, quote, was a deal, unquote, with God. He became a miserable old man with few friends and committed suicide. And I look back and I think, what was missing in his life? And I would have to say, love. He even caused division in his family. It was love. But a very gifted man. He made more enemies than friends. Why? He had not charity. So secondly, so that's love's preferences. Secondly, we'll look at love's properties. In verses 4 through 7, it says, Charity suffereth long in this kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Now these are, these are things that define what the love of God is. And of course, some of the ways that, you know, some of the best ways we can define something is tell you what it is not and tell you what it is. But, but you know, many in our world are very confused, again, about what real love is. And, and sometimes the most loving answer you can give a person is no. No. A lot of yeses are given out of permissiveness and sin. Love is not just being nice. It is about doing what is right. And so, it starts out with charity suffereth long. To suffer long means to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. To be mild and slow in avenging. You know, James chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, the Bible says, Take my brethren the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction. And of patience. You know, the prophets, oftentimes, they would preach to, to the people. And like Micaiah, who preached to Ahab and Jehoshaphat, he ended up being put back in jail and fed with bread and water because of it. But he endured it. He didn't change his message. Even though it was asked of him, can't you prophesy good like all the other prophets? Can't you tell us what we want to hear? That's what they really wanted. They want, they want to tell them what they want to hear. He didn't, they didn't want to be told what the truth was. No, he endured it. Many, many of the prophets endured these wrongs unto death. Verse 11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. Think of, all the, of what Job endured with the criticism of his three friends, so-called. 
and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of man deferreth his anger. It is his glory to pass over a transgression. So charity suffereth long and is kind. It's kind. Kindness means to show oneself mild. It speaks of acts of good. You know, patience is enduring ill will or acts of evil, while kindness is love in activity, in good deeds. Kindness is, if you will, giving your enemy food and drink. Titus 3, 4 says, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. See, we can see it was the kindness of God because God gave His Son to die for His enemies, not His friends. Because Romans 5 tells us that while we were at enmity with God, Christ died for us. Kindness. See, charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Of course, envy is, going to, is jealousy. It is to burn with zeal or to be heated or to boil with envy or hatred. It was, it was envy, the anger and envy of, of Cain. He was envious of Abel's acceptance before God. Joseph's brothers sold him because of envy. They were envious of his relationship with his father, which they could have had if they wouldn't have been evil. But instead of fixing themselves, they lashed out at Joseph because they were envious. See, love's not envious. It rejoices in the goodness and blessings of others. It's not envious. Charity also vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. I put these two together because I believe they're so similar. It it refers to pride or self-display in employing rhetorical embellishments and extolling oneself. You know, love doesn't parade around boasting and showing off one's gifts. And of course, this is very fitting for the church of Corinth. They pride themselves in their gifts and their abilities and the wisdom that they had. And Paul said, you're carnal. You're acting like carnal. You're acting like babes in Christ. You know, you, love doesn't go around vaunting itself and, and puffing itself up and displaying its own, its own abilities and gifts. It's, it, pride, it, this is like someone wanting to join the church and letting me know right off the beginning how musically talented they are and that can bless us with all their musical abilities. Implying that we should immediately put them in the music ministry. I remember Brother Custer, Aaron Custer at camp, mentioning about a guy that came to their church. And the first Sunday, he let Pastor Custer know that he could sing solos. And he just said, okay. And then he further went on to let him know a little later on that he was, you know, been bare, he had sung solos in other churches and, you know, then 
what was he implying? That I should be, you know, it's a boastful thing. You see, love, someone said this, love does not push itself into public notice or seek the limelight. Instead, it wins respect and never ceases to progress higher and higher. See, it lets others exalt them. It doesn't push itself in. You know, in 1 Kings chapter 1, we have an example of this, where the Bible says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Of course, this was a son of David, who when David is sick and dying, decides that, hey, I'll be king. He exalted himself. And of course, he had some men that followed him. Even Joab followed him. But you know what? We never read where Solomon said, you know what? When my, when my dad's gone, or you know, when, he's in, when he can't do it anymore, I'll just take over the throne and I'll be king. No, Solomon waited until David appointed him king. He let those, he left his exaltation to those that were over him. You see, charity doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. Charity is, is in verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. The word unseemly means to behave in a way that opens you up to strong disapproval. Someone described it as courtesy, or a gentleness, or being a gentleman. You know, there is, there is no prize for toughness or hardness. That's a man of the world. Oh, he's tough. He never sheds tears. He doesn't display emotions. He's in control of himself, boy. What he is is uncaring and lacks love and compassion. The greatest Men in the Bible, the greatest man that ever lived, wept at a grave. He wept over a city. He had compassion for the lost. The meekest man, the man that was described as the meekest man on the earth, and meekness speaks of gentleness, compassion, was described as a man mighty in words and deeds in Acts chapter 7, verse 22. And that was Moses. You know, he was a gentleman. You know, Galatians 5, 22, one of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. It speaks of kind or a gracious disposition. You know, Pastor Webb said on Friday night, that Pastor Custer is a very gracious man. And I would agree with that assessment. He's just a very gracious man. But he is not weak. I've had some discussions with him about stands he's taken. He is not weak. But he is very gracious. There is no spiritual reward for being hard. And ungentlemanlike. 
unseemly. It opens you up for strong censorship or disapproval. It seeketh not her own. Seeketh not her own. Love seeketh not her own. Your Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then it goes on and says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, this, 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 this mindset of looking on the things of others and not on the things of yourself was the mind of Christ. And that's what seeketh not her own is. You know, this, is, this refers to selfish grasping of things. Someone who can only talk about their life, their business, and what pertains to them. When they talk to you, it's about them. They really don't know the needs of others or just how it affects them. But you know, the secret to joyful living is not concentrating on yourself. It's looking out, not in. See, love doesn't seek its own. It doesn't think of itself. You know, the person that thinks of themselves is an unhappy person. So love doesn't seek her own. And then it is not easily provoked. This means to irritate, to provoke, to rouse to anger. Again, Proverbs 19 and where was it? Probably 1911. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger and his glory to pass over a transgression. One commentator said this about anger or wrath. Quote, no form of vice, not worldliness, not greed of gold, not drunkenness itself, does more to unchristianize society than an evil temper. For embittering life, for breaking up communities, for destroying the most sacred relationships, for devastating homes, for withering up men and women, for taking the bloom of childhood. In short, for sheer gratuitous misery producing power, this influence stands alone. Look at the elder brother, more hardworking, dutiful, let him get all the credit for his virtue. But look at this man, this baby, sulking out his own father's door. He was angry, we read, and would not go in. Look at the effect upon the father, upon the servants, upon the happiness of the guests. Judge the effect upon the prodigal. And how many prodigals are kept out of the kingdom of God by the unlovely characters of those who profess to be inside? Temper. What is it made of? Jealousy, anger, pride, uncharity, cruelty, self-righteousness, touchiness, stubbornness, sullenness. These are the ingredients of this dark and loveless soul. Judge such sins 
of the disposition, disposition are not worse to live in and for others to live with than sins of the body. A man with such a mood can only make heaven a miserable place for all people in it. Except therefore such a one be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unquote. You know, Proverbs 29.22 says this, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgressions. You know, Jonah's anger withered his own gourd. Think about it. It brought misery on himself. You know, the Bible says that love is not easily provoked. It's not easily provoked. It also thinketh no evil. Verse 6, again. Does not behave itself unseemly, thinketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. To think no evil means to reckon or to suppose evil or wrong or unlawful of someone. It, it is the idea to be suspicious of. That someone has evil intentions against me and do, or doesn't love you because they may not approve of what you do. Your soul became jealous and then suspicious of everything that David did. He was suspicious that David had evil intentions. And David had nothing but the best of intentions for Saul. He wouldn't even draw his own hand and remove him from the earth when he had an opportunity when he was trying to kill him. Suspicious. You know, to think no evil is to credit people with the best motives and understanding attitude. It is not to jump to conclusions based upon perception without evidence. Do you ever think about it? That's one of our core beliefs of our republic. You're innocent till what? Proven guilty. And that's really the idea. You see, love don't think evil of people. And then, finally, verse 6. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Love has no joy or pleasure in sin. You know, it means there's nothing to be glad about in iniquity. It, whether it be unrighteousness of heart or life. Of course, the heart speaks of an attitude. And, and, and love gives no commendation, no congratulation for sin, for participation in sin. In fact, it, it will confront sin. You know, Psalm 97 verse 10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. We ought to hate evil. You know, I've heard people say, I've heard preachers say, well, he's such a nice guy. You know, nice guys can be very, very wicked. How many, let me ask you this. What do you think, what did you think of the late Senator Ted Kennedy? Well, I know people that met him and witnessed to him. Trying to remember his name. Bromwells from Bobby Mitchell's church. 
His wife was having medical problems, and they went to the Boston Hospital. Ted Kennedy was in there, and they witnessed to him. And this is what they said. He is the nicest man. You know, a lot of nice people don't have any convictions. Yeah, a nice guy can, it can be nice just based on all feelings and actions of others. That's not what love is. Love is fulfilling the law. Paul, out of love for Peter, confronted him concerning his error. And Agabus, out of love for Paul, confronted him concerning him going to Jerusalem. It was out of love and concern for him. See, love has no, has, rejoiceth not in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. It is to have Bible-based convictions that are based on the truth, not on our feelings or actions or others, of others. Because God is no respecter of person. Now, Again, these are things that are contrary to human nature. They are characteristics that can truly only be worked out of a heart that has been transformed by the power of God through the new birth. You know, there is a measure in which a man can be trained to exemplify some of these qualities. But as we have seen in verses 1 through 3, you know, we can have, we can do a lot of things that are good to humanity, and yet it is nothing. It has no eternal value. It is vain, it is worthless. Because it can be done in self-righteousness. It is shallow and empty works. Someone said this, quote, People of little religion are always noisy. He who has not the love of God and man filling his heart is like an empty wagon coming violently down a hill. It makes a great noise because there's nothing in it, unquote. See, biblical love is not reactionary but consistent. It's stable. It's rational. It, 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 again, it's based on our relationship with God, not on our relationships with people. If it was based on our relationships with people, it would be subjective and, and given to constant change because people change. People do things that disappoint us, that hurt us. And if our love is based on that, it's going to be reactionary to that. But if our love is based on a relationship with God and our love for Him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, we won't have a problem when people offend us. People do that which we disapprove of. It may disappoint us, but it does not mean 
we will go along with it. Or we will be deterred by it. Because our love is grounded in the love of God that does not change. So the question I have for you this morning is, what's the basis of your love? I mean, if you lost all friends and family, would you still love God? What's the basis of your love? Is it a relationship with God? Again, 1 John 4, 7 says this, Love is of God. It's of God. And the question is, do you have the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Is it abundantly? Is it like an artesian well that just, just comes out? It just expresses itself from somewhere. It's not of you. It's not something you have to work at. Because it's based on a relationship with God who works in us to do His goodwill and His, his pleasure. It is the fruit, again, it is the fruit of the Spirit. So, we might ask, who is your life about? Is there evidence of the love of God in your life? We're going to continue this next week. But again, these are the characteristics of what the love of God looks like. You know, the question isn't, am I doing all of these perfectly? But the question is, is there evidence of the fruit of God working these things out in my life by the Holy Spirit?